the city had fallen on hard times. Street kids roamed the city, hungry, often looking for something to steal or someone to rob. It was a Sunday, Sunday evening. The old couple left their Baltimore row home and uh, headed out for their evening church service. What they didn't know was that a young 15-year-old was watching their every move. He watched them open the door, walk out of the house. He watched them walk down the street and turn the corner. Once they were out of sight, the young 15-year-old peeked into the windows and began to scope out the house. He found a window that he would be able to get into. Soon enough, the couple was heading back, and he saw them, and he hid. He watched as they entered back into their row house. He peeked through the windows as they were eating their simple dinner that night at their kitchen table. He saw through the windows as they turned off the lights and walked up the stairs to the second floor bedroom. He waited a few hours. The house was quiet, and she heard something. She was startled. She woke up her husband. I heard something. Somebody's downstairs. The old man dragged himself out of bed, walked down the hallway on the second floor to the staircase, took a few steps down the stairs and was met face to face with a 15-year-old holding a revolver pointed at the man's head. Why are you here? The old man asked. I've come to rob you, was the reply. Now we'll get back to that, but before we do, let me say this. Today we're talking about the Eighth Commandment. It's a simple one. Do not steal. And what I want you to know as we begin is that this Eighth Commandment is 100% grace. Let me explain. Turn to Exodus 22. So just flip over one, one or two pages to Exodus chapter 22. This commandment was given in a certain context in which it was needed. The ancient world was no joke. Governments were primitive and therefore uh, uh, families and tribes often ruled lands. The, the culture was agricultural. It was a bartering society, which means that theft was easy and often rampant in the ancient world. With no real authority to often turn to, animals would be stolen, other animals would be grazing on flocks that are not, uh, on, on grazing on fields that are not owned by the flock owners, by the flocks owners. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but I think you get the picture. Because it was a bartering society, there were no banks of America. There was no cash. 
And so goods would often be hid in the ground, which then would easily be found or stolen. Houses were primitive. If you were not fortunate enough to live in a cave or in the rocks, you had a tent. Easy to break into. Not extremely safe. Bandits would hide on roadways ready to take advantage of families that are traveling. It was a world of stealing and actually not much different than the world that we live in today. Things have changed. One thing that hasn't changed is theft. Half of 9 through 12-year-olds have stolen something. I asked my kids. They said no. So I'm going to believe them. Believe the best. So they're two of the half that hasn't. And uh, next week we talk about the Ninth Commandment. I'll just leave it at that. Some, like three of you got that. Uh, many of us have had something stolen from us, victims of theft. A couple years ago, I had my guitar stolen right out of my trunk. Somebody popped the trunk, took the guitar. Last year, my wife and I sold a couch for $300 and put the $300 in a drawer. And as you guys know, we often have people in and out of our house. And needless to say, we're $300 short, all right? (laughs) It was found and it was taken. If you... If you appreciate your Beats by Dr. Dre, you're not going to wear them walking home at midnight unless you're trying to attract a thief. Don't talk on your iPhone at 2 in the morning while you're walking down the street. You get the picture. We leave our homes, and what do we do? First thing when we leave, you leave your house. You make sure that you what? Lock the door. You get in your car if you have one. You drive to the grocery store, and, and you get out of your car, and what do you do? You lock the door. We live in a society where we're constantly locking up all of our stuff, and then we spend thousands of dollars on our own personal security. Expensive bicycle locks if you're a fellow cyclist. Mace or guns, car alarms, steering wheel clubs, fees to protect your bank accounts, insurance premiums on cars and homes and other goods that you don't want stolen home security systems, being careful with our social security numbers so somebody doesn't steal our identity, complex passwords for every single internet account, and then you forget them and have to change it again with another complex password that you'll forget next time you try to log on. Nationally, we spent $1 trillion during the 10 years after 9-11 on national security. What's crazy is this, if we don't secure our stuff and it gets stolen, we're the dummies, right? So like when my guitar was stolen, I left the doors open and they popped the trunk and took my guitar and guess who the dummy was? Not the guy that took my guitar, but it was me because we live with an expectation that the, that the world is, is, is a place of thieves. All right? So don't set your iPhone down on a park bench and go to lunch and come back for it and expect to find it there. It's just shocking when you think about the thievery that is all around us 
We live in a society and a world and a culture of stealing. If humans were created to be people of generosity and love, how far have we sunk? Just to give you an example of how far we have sunk. Over the last two weeks, there's been a lot of uh, controversy and, and hubbub in the news about a certain website that was hacked. Something like 30 million users of the, uh, the Ashley Madison website, which is a website designed for those who are looking to commit adultery and connect with someone else who wants to commit adultery, have an affair. Well, the names were all hacked, as you might know the story, and, and are slowly being produced. And so what you thought was uh, a, a private little affair is now public knowledge, all right? They stole them. It's stealing. They broke the Eighth Commandment. But check this out. They broke the Eighth Commandment to steal names of people who are breaking the Seventh Commandment. And they're upset about the fact that they broke the Eighth Commandment, right? Does this make any sense? Well, friends, this is the world that we live in. Welcome to Earth. Today we explore this topic of theft. We want to look at God's demand. What is it that God demands of us? The dis God's disclosure of who the thieves are. God's desire for us. And lastly, we want to look at God's delight. First, God's demand. It's simple. Do not steal. Do not steal. And it's 100% grace. So in the world that this command was given, you can only imagine the grace that it was to create a culture, at least a dream of a culture, where people didn't steal from each other. And to just show you how contrary stealing uh, is from the heart of God, look at Exodus chapter 22, what God requires of those who steal. If a man steals an ox, in verse 1, or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, or four sheep for a sheep. That is called, anybody know? Restitution. They are to make restitution. This is so contrary to God's heart that if you steal from another, you must make restitution and not just give one ox back, but four. Verse 3, if this, the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, he shall be, uh, shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, wh whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over, or he lets his beast loose and he feeds on another man's field. Or let's contextualize this. You let your dog do his business in someone else's backyard, all right? He shall make restitution from, that, uh, 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 from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Let's skip down to verse 10. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox, or a sheep, or any beast to keep safe. 
and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anybody seeing it. An oath by the Lord shall be made between them both to see whether or not he had put his hand on his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to his owner. If it is torn from beasts, torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence, and he shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything, and half of you are saying, "Uh uh-oh, if a man borrows anything of his neighbor and he injures it or, or, or dies, the owner does not uh, the, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for his hiring fee. We can see here clearly that stealing is contrary to the heart of God. And God requires restitution fourfold, fivefold to be made if something is stolen. It then comes to us as sheer grace. Here's where the grace is. It says, God says that the person who has a possession has the right to keep their stuff. Now, from the very beginning, we were thieves. Think of Genesis chapter 1. Chapter 2, chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they are told they can eat of any tree in the whole garden. It's all for you, but there is one tree that you can't eat from. You cannot have this. And what is the fruit that Adam and Eve crave? It's not the hundreds or thousands or millions. We have no clue how many. The one fruit that they crave is the fruit that they can't have. And they take it. They steal from God. That is our first sin. They steal from God what He has said they cannot have. Therefore, they steal from the very glory of God as they do not trust Him and disobey Him. Now, who are the thieves? Who are the thieves? Is it just Adam and Eve? Is it just a 15-year-old who breaks into your house? Who are the thieves? Let's look at God's disclosure of who a thief is. Proverbs chapter 11. I'm just going to read one verse so you don't necessarily need to turn there. But before I read it, let me make clear. Violent theft, robbery, armed robbery, clearly breaking the Eighth Commandment. All right, let's all be clear on that one. Uh, Petty theft, popping a trunk, taking a guitar. All right, I was about 10 years old when I took a piece of chocolate out from a little container at the grocery store and ate it and it was it didn't taste good you know that's wrong petty theft of all sorts breaking the eighth commandment but if there are any religious people in the house today you might be thinking to yourself this one doesn't apply to me None of these have applied to me, actually. Especially this one. Because I'm not a thief. I haven't violently stolen. I haven't even ever stolen a piece of chocolate out of giant. It cannot apply to me. Well, before you make that assumption, let's look at it a a, a little bit. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. 
A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. This is referring to dishonest business practices. So if you work in a deli and someone orders a pound of shaved turkey and you give them th- uh, uh, three quarters of a pound, all right, or ten ounces, or just, just barely under a pound, Proverbs 11 says you're a thief. You're, you, you've stolen from them. Dishonest business practices. Here's one that we all like. Withholding taxes. Demanding under the table pay so that you can cheat the government and not pay what you're supposed to pay. Well, why is that a sin? Romans 13, 7, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We obey the law of the land. Not paying our debts. Trying to get out of our debts. We signed for it. We would pay for it. Now we're trying to get out of it. James chapter 5, verse 12 says, let your yes be yes. Plagiarism, stealing ideas, stealing a song, calling it your own, stealing information for a paper, stealing a grade as a result, cheating, cheating on a test, stealing answers. One friend of mine, he failed an exam and therefore failed the entire class as a result to the glory of God. It was a take-home exam, and he had the book right next to him, and he could have cheated. And to the glory of God, he flunked it. And he learned how to study better. All right? (laughs) Borrowing indefinitely. You borrowed ten dollars, haven't paid it back yet. Can I borrow that book? Can I borrow your shirt? Now at some point you have to ask yourself, are you borrowing it or are you stealing it? Right? At what point? I mean, it's found a nice home on your shelf. And you're not even sure if you intend to give it back. But I'm still borrowing it. No, you're not. Thief. I'm going to have like 18 books come back this week. Keeping lost goods. You find a case of money. What do you do with it? You're walking down the street and the man in front of you clearly drops a a $20 bill out of his pocket. What do you do? Do you pick it up and stick it in your own? Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. If you see a fellow Israelite, uh, Israelite's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to the owner. If they live near you or if they, if they do not know who owns it, take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it. Then give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or cloak or anything else that they have lost. Do not ignore it. Lost goods, returning them to their owner is a way of obedience to the Eighth Commandment. Employer theft. Do you know that 60% of all goods that are stolen every year are stolen by employees? 60%. Three out of four employees have at one time 
or another stolen from their employee. Now, I'm sure we are all in the quarter minority right here, right? Three out of four have stolen from their employees or employers. That's one trillion dollars. I'm sorry, 50 billion, not quite one trillion. 50 billion dollars that are stolen every year by employees. Time is stolen. Hours where you're supposed to be working and you're goofing off or you're texting or calling people or you're on Facebook. On average, the, the average worker every week steals eight hours from their employer. That's a full work day. I asked on Facebook, actually, others. I said, what, 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 do, what are some subtle ways that we steal? Here's some answers that I got. We steal music and movies, bootleg. Not tithing. Words, which are said harshly that steal the joy from others. We steal candy from our children at Halloween, <laughs> at nighttime when they're sleeping. <laughs> Whew. See, this is, this is a convicting sermon. I knew this would be convicting for you. Uh, we steal the tissues out of hotel rooms, condiments from fast food restaurants. Those who are not disabled steal disability checks from the government. We steal grapes while we're grocery shopping. We steal pens. We steal pens. We steal intimacy from our spouse when we delight in pornography or another emotional affair. A friend of mine, Ron Jourlock, he's a pastor in the Brooklyn neighborhood in South Baltimore. He sent me a list. He said, kids steal toys, students steal work, employees steal time, employees steal office supplies, traffickers steal people, corporations steal through tax evasion, citizens steal tax money with misinformation on tax forms, governments steal ex excessive taxes, looters steal in riots, bootleggers steal music and movies, hackers steal online IDs and credit card information, shoppers steal Store products, casinos, and lotteries steal from the gullible. Non-church givers steal from God. We are thieves. We look a lot like our parents, Adam and Eve, don't we? We want exactly what we can't have. We crave it if it's not ours. The Christian is someone who says, I have broken God's commands. The Christian is someone who looks at the Eighth Commandment and, and sees themselves and says, I am a guilty lawbreaker, a rebel against God. So what is God's desire for us? God's desire is simply this, that we trust Him. John Calvin, commenting on this commandment, he said that the Eighth Commandment, the intent of the Eighth Commandment is that each person should render to each man what belongs to him. We should, he continued, strive to help everyone keep their possessions. Now, why is it that God, as one of His commandments, wants us to help each other and strangers keep their own possessions? Why is that so important? Why are possessions so important? We just got through 1 Peter. Getting through 1 Peter, we're like, man, possessions? Like, we're just heading to the kingdom, Right? Why are possessions so important? 
Well, possessions are important for a number of reasons. One of them would be they are the fruit of your labor, which we're going to talk about. But primarily, possessions are important because of the very nature of possessions and ownership. It is God who is the giver of all things. It is God who in His sovereignty distributes to all exactly what He wants them to have. And it is God who is the owner of all things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, God says to Adam, I have, I have given you all things. God is the giver. Why is it that Adam fell? Because when God said, I did not give you this, he desired it. And he did not trust the giver. He failed to trust God. Family, God has given you breath. God has given you a place to live. He's given you the opportunity to be up this morning and to be here in this place. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift is from above. But God hasn't given you that. Whatever that is. Can you trust Him? You know, God has given more to Donald Trump than he's, give, than he's given to you. I don't know why. But can you trust him? God hasn't given you a spouse. Can you trust him? God hasn't given you children. Can you trust him? God hasn't given you a job that pays well. Can you trust him? I love this song that we just sang. God moves in mysterious ways. Deep in unsearchable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and He works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage, take the clouds that you so much dread. They are big with mercy and they shall break in blessings on your head. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain, for God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Why has God not given me this? But I need this. Why? I feel like I'm going through life without. Why hasn't he given? I don't know. But the question is not to see if we can figure it out and use our feeble minds to understand His perfect, eternal plans. But our call is to trust a sovereign God, a God who is the giver of all good gifts, and who has rightly given you what you have. And God, in His wisdom, has not given you some things. Can you trust Him? The prosperity gospel says, trust God, and He'll pay your bills for you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the fact that you need food on the table, and I'm just believing God for that food. I'm going to sit on my hands, on my couch, and I'm going to trust God for my food. No, no, no. God says, if you don't eat, you don't work. The very means by which we 
acquire things is through the work of our hands. He's given us hands to work, to produce. You see, laziness is just simply another way of, uh, uh, in which we don't trust Him. We don't trust the fact that the means by which He's given us to provide for ourselves is actually good. We don't trust Him. That is the root of our problem. That is the root of humanity's problem. And that's why we deal with theft. That's why we get things stealing, stolen from us in Baltimore City all the time. It's because we're living in a culture that doesn't trust God. Now what is God's delight? Let me tell you what God loves. God loves to turn thieves into His children. So going back to my story, here's the man, he, the old man, he, he hears something, he's walking down the steps and he's met with the 15-year-old, a revolver is in his face. Why have you come into my house, the old man asks. I've come to rob you. I'm here to rob you. And they stare at each other. It had to be awkward. For what probably felt like years. And then all of a sudden, the arm drops. The gun falls to the floor. And the young man says, I can't kill you. The old man says, come on downstairs with me. As his wife is making some food, in the middle of the night, they sit the young man at the table and they begin to talk to him. Why did you come into my house? What's going on? Tell me about your life. They hear about the loss of his parents. They hear about his hungry belly. They hear about the only way that he's been able to, 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 to eat and to provide for himself is, is through stealing. They sit there all night until the sun rises listening to his story. As the sun rises, the, the old man asks the 15-year-old a question. He says, would you like to live here? Would you like to be our son? He says yes. They go up to the spare room and they prepare a bed for him. And he lays down and he gets some sleep. That next day, the old couple begin an adoption process. And they make a thief their son. This is what God delights in. He loves to turn thieves into his children. 1 Corinthians, God is explaining to the church in Corinth, which is a very broken church, a lot of problems, a lot of sin issues, and he's explaining to them the, the grace that they have experienced in salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's this famous list of the kinds of people that, that aren't inheritors of the kingdom. And right there in verse 10, we see thieves. 
thieves are the kind of people that don't inherit the kingdom. However, there's this beautiful line at the very beginning of verse 11. When the Apostle Paul writes, And such were some of you. Meaning, you used to be thieves. You used to be the kind of person that would never inherit the kingdom of God. But God has delighted Himself in saving you. In changing you. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. Thieves who have been turned into His children. Who have been invited into His home and a place has been prepared for them. And they are given a Father. A good Father who has showered His blessings upon them. And who has said, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Adam was a thief. He stole what was not His. He stole, therefore, from the glory of God as He did not trust in God. And Jesus, the second Adam, died between two thieves. As He hung on the cross, one of the thieves looked at Him and He said, Remember me as you enter into your kingdom. By that, what we know is that He was having faith in Christ He was looking at Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, and saying, when you enter your kingdom, would you remember a sinner like me? And Jesus looks at him and he says, today I will be with you in paradise. Two thieves, two eternal destinies. What's the difference between the two thieves? Faith. One had faith in the Messiah, the Son of God. And he was changed. A thief became, in his dying hours, a child of God. Jesus, the only one who had never broken the Eighth Commandment, there is hanging on the cross, and the sins for the thief, dying rightly for His stealing are placed on to Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might have the righteousness of God. We find life in Him. We find salvation in Him. And in Him we find the motivation to not steal. You see, a child who has a good father, who, a father that they can trust, a father who has given them exactly what they need, that child doesn't need to steal. That child can trust the father. What does it look like? A people who know the value of work. Know that, that we can work to produce the things that we need, and that is the very means that God has given us. A work, people who know the value of work plus a sovereign giver. We know that God is good. We know that He is sovereign. That equals a transformed community of people who model to the world what God is like and what humans should be like. It would look like a people who, who work hard and honest jobs, a people without honesty and transparency. 
a people who embrace giving instead of abusing, a people who return lost items, a people who return borrowed items, they give them back, a people who become salt in a tasteless society, a people who become light in a dark world. We are children of God, children who have been given everything, and we can trust our Father. We are children who were once thieves, bought by the blood of our older brother who stood in our place. We are children who strive to help others keep their goods, not because we glorify possessions, but because we glorify the giver of all possessions, motivated by the gospel, motivated out of love for Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Are you the thief today who scoffs and trusts in yourself and turns and looks away from the giver of life? Or are you the thief who is looking to Jesus right now, saying, remember me? Remember me in your kingdom. I'm coming to you. I need you. Father, we thank you for the eighth commandment. We pray that you would help us not only be crushed by it, recognize that we are sinners, but that we would see that Jesus is the giver of all life. And that we would rest in his salvation and that we would trust you our father it's in jesus name we pray amen